Good morning. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Uh, we are the family of God, and we're united under one thing, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Amen? That's what our choir is going to sing about. Can you clap your hands and welcome them as we sing this morning? worshiping with the truth that God loved us enough to send his son that we might be forgiven of our sins. 
Well, I'll start out this morning uh, sharing with you. Uh, I am not the pastor. I am the associate pastor. Our pastor is at children's camp. That was not the plan. Our youth camp came back with multiple cases of COVID. And because of that, some families were isolated or going through COVID. And because of that, we lost two chaperones for kids camp, a male and a female. And so our pastor said, here am I, send me. And I hope that he has had a wonderful time. I'm sure he is just the biggest kid at the party. Um, We are praying for them. They'll finish up their kids camp today at lunch and be driving home this afternoon. But that's why he's not here. Uh, That's why Matthew was not here. He's finishing out his quarantine. He didn't have COVID, but he was quarantined. So uh, this morning I'll be bringing our message here in just a little bit. But before that, a couple of announcements. Uh, Grand Monday night. Uh, for grandparents meets tomorrow, this Monday night, from 6.30 to 8 in the youth room. If you're a grandparent, you're welcome to be there. You don't have to have come to the other ones. It's a great opportunity to hear about how to invest in your kids and point your grandkids uh, to Christ. And so a great opportunity for grandparents tomorrow night in the youth room. Grief Share is going to be beginning uh, starting Tuesday the 16th, and you can uh, call the church office to register for that. But if you know someone who's walked through deep grief and lost someone, this is a remarkable program for them to find encouragement from the Word of God, support here at the Body of Christ. That begins on August the 16th. We've been asked by the Mobile Labs Association to serve, uh, and, and we're going to be cutting the grass at the International Center, which is downtown. Uh, they have a building that they're having to do some upkeep for, and we have picked the date of August the 27th. And so we need uh, three men with a zero-turn mower or a big enough mower that can cut some grass, and about eight men or, or teenage boys that can run a weed eater to come and maybe a couple of people that can help with some weeds and trimming bushes and just being on our hydration committee so we don't all pass out. But if you're willing to help on serve day, you can go to the go table and sign up for that. Uh, We will plan for that on August 27th. And finally, I'm excited to announce we're going to have a marriage conference. Uh, We've had a lot of people asking when we're going to have another marriage conference. And so if you are engaged, newly married, been married for 10 years, been married for 40 years, we can invest in our marriages, all of us can. And so we're going to be going to the Family Life Marriage Weekend to Remember in Destin, Florida on October 28th, 29th, and 30th. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The pastor has even given you permission to miss church on Sunday morning. He, he will be at the conference, but we'll come back to preach that Sunday morning. But um, we do encourage our families to... to to invest in your marriages. And so if you want more information about that, John and Phoebe will be at the Grow Desk following this service. You can find out how to sign up for that, the cost involved, all of the details about that. But we're very excited about that. So those are our announcements. Aaron, come on up and let's continue in worship this morning. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just say right now that we're in awe to be in your presence today. We want to lift a joyful noise and a shout, Lord, for how glorious you are, how patient you are with us, and how good it is to have Christ as our solid rock and our cornerstone today. We pray that this praise would be an offering that would be sweet, and that we would come together as the family of God for your purposes and for your will today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and say hi to the person next to you, and then we will get started this morning singing about the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Jesus name. 
Let's sing it as a prayer today. Christ alone, cornerstone, together. there's no cracks in that foundation if it were me there'd be a lot there's multiple points of failure in your life that I know you can look back to and I know that you can see and I know that he can see but guess what when you're covered in his righteousness he says I don't see that old sinner I see my son because of his amazing unfailing unrelenting grace amen Sometimes I'm strong, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall in my wandering, but through it all, there's just one thing more precious than the air I breathe. Unending grace 
seated as we continue in worship. Sing about that blessed assurance that we have in Jesus today. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. one more time. My prayer today is that is your story and that is the song that you continually will sing praying without ceasing that Jesus has assured us that we will see him one day face to face. This is my story This is my Father, we we know you are God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We lean on you today. There's no way that we can make it without you. We glory in your grace has been given freely. Your mercy that is renewed each and every day, Lord. We pray that there would be one name that we would say to everybody that we meet. Everywhere we go, and that name is Jesus. We speak that over the congregation today family of God. We speak that over our families, our loved ones, our friends. Because Jesus is the only name that can save the way, the truth, and the life. We pray that you would give us more and more opportunity to point others to you, to that sweet name that is Jesus. 
And then it is in his name that we pray today. Amen.
just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Well, as I already mentioned, I wasn't intending to be speaking this morning. Um... But God had a plan. Aaron didn't know what I was speaking on until yesterday. His name is power. His name is healing. And his name is life. And the Lord knew where we were going to be this morning. That's Mark chapter 2. As we walk through the story about four friends bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus. You know, we live in a world with so many people. Estimated 8 billion people live today. And it's easy to, to draw a crowd. Whether you're drawing a crowd for a good reason or whether you're drawing a crowd for a bad reason. Many times I've been walking along and saw somebody giving a demonstration. Saw somebody uh, selling a product. Some, saw somebody trying to do something. And I just stopped to check it out and see just what that's all about. You know, we watch the news when we're brave enough to, and we see demonstrations about this, and across the street, counter demonstrations about this. And in the Gospels, when we see Jesus, we see crowds following Jesus as well. We see something very similar happening. People wanted to see just what was going on. Jesus accomplished so much in his time on earth, but ultimately his primary goal was to become the propitiation for our sins on the cross, to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have life in him and the hope of eternal life with him. During his time, he also healed many people from their illnesses, proving his power over sickness. If we took time to look through Mark chapter 1 this morning, we could see that he had already healed many, many people. He had healed so many people that literally he had to withdraw and retreat to an unpopulated area in order to avoid the crowds. So many people were following him. For for him to have the opportunity to to teach, he had to, to withdraw and start over. We see that he healed people and he even told them not to go and speak about it. Just just go ahead, but don't tell anyone because it was becoming the place that the, the miracles were eclipsing the, mer- the, 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 the message that he was trying to give. People flocked to Jesus just to see what he would do next. They were hungry after seeing one miracle to see what he would do after that. And now he was in a home and he was gathered together and people came to see what he was going to do. Imagine their surprise when he began to preach to them. As we begin this passage, the first thing we see is the centrality of the word for Jesus. Look with me in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When he'd come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, he had, it, it was heard that he was home. And many gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And he came, and they came, bringing a paralyzed man carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and they dug a hole as an opening. Then they let down the pallet in which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning the way, that way within themselves, said, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up 
and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out into the sight of everyone. So that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. So he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. See, Jesus had returned and he was staying in a home. We presume it was Peter's home. We don't know that for sure. But most scholars presume that it was Peter's home. He wasn't in an amphitheater trying to draw a crowd. He wasn't in the synagogue purposely teaching. He was just in the home. But everyone came because they heard about Jesus. You know, when amazing things happen, word spreads, right? When, when good things are going on, everybody hears what's happening. Now, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have social media. They didn't have all the things that we deal with today. But word got out that Jesus was in town And I know where he is, and let's go see what's going to happen. You know, these days, we hear news quickly as well. Right now, it's whether there's cheap gas somewhere. We find out that, so that we we might all go there. What tunnel is closed today, so that we might make our way to the Bayway. But good news travels fast, right? Um, But the man who did all the miracles was in this house in our town. The man who can heal is in our town. Let's go see what is happening. So in fact, there was literally no room. You can imagine there's nowhere to sit, more or less anywhere to stand to the point that they are lined outside the door just so that they might hear what is happening. Just a side note. Isn't that what happened when Jesus is working? Isn't that what happens that people take notice when God's doing great things? When they hear that God is working, they want to be part of it. They don't even understand why. We're blessed at Luke 418. Four years ago was my first week at Luke 418, and I stood in this pulpit with Brother Fred Wolf and Brother David Bullock. Brother Fred turned to me and said, how old are you? Very first thing he says, thanks, Brother Fred, for pointing out that I am so much older than Brother David. And that's how it began. But this church was founded by a pastor who loved the Lord with his entire heart. This church is led by a pastor who preaches his word faithfully week after week. We enjoy worship led by a worship pastor who, with the help of a choir and orchestra, lead us into the presence of God. We enjoy life group with with teachers who are instilling and growing us in our, in our love for the word and investing one life to another. We have this wonderful thing that we get to do every week. And people in our city, people who are hungry for what you and I are enjoying right here this morning, we have people all around that don't have what we have. Somewhere we've got to recognize all that we have to offer and we've got to go outside of these doors and offer it to the world around us now back to the passage the room was full but what did they come to see we presume they came to see the next miracle we presume they came to see what was jesus going to do how could he make that better than the last time they didn't come for a sermon although that's what began when they when they arrived look with me in verse three and see what happened and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they dug an opening, they let down the pallet of which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus said, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus had already healed many people in that town, but there were still more that had great needs. The second thing we see in this passage of Scripture is what faithful friends look like. What it's like to have faithful friends. You know, we don't know all the details, but we know this one thing. He had some really good friends. When I've taught about this passage over the years with student ministry, I always ask for five volunteers. All the hands go up. 
I say, you, don't, you need to be strong for this. And then all the tough guys' hands go up. And of the five volunteers, we pick one to say, you're going to be the paralyzed guy. And we pick the other four to say, y'all are going to need to pick him up and you're going to need to carry him. Just to illustrate just exactly what happened by these four friends. Because we can kind of be excited about coming through the roof. We can kind of be excited about the distractions. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I think the, the most interesting part of this is, is how to get these, how these four guys pick up a, another one and carry him for some distance. Inevitably, the students have never made it across the room without dropping their paralyzed guy. <laughs> at least once. The students have also not made it more than a few hundred feet before setting him down and saying, I'm done. This is too hard. And my point has been made, right? You know, we see this part of the story, and this is what intrigues me the most. In my mind, this is these four friends working out their salvation. This is these four friends taking what they know about Jesus and putting it into action. This is the hard part, right? This is, this is our response because we do have Jesus. Because we do know all that he has to offer. These five, four guys, they knew their friend. They knew he had this physical need. They knew he needed to be healed. And they knew that other people had found relief in Jesus. They knew that other people had found their Biggest issue resolved when they met this Jesus. They knew that this guy's only hope was Jesus. And so Jesus was in a house on the other side of town and they did what four good friends would do. They said, we're going to get you there. Now at some point, walking along carrying this heavy load, they had to begin wondering, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one. What have I gotten myself into? Do you know how far it is until where we have to be? At some point, they had to be thinking, we're never going to make it. At some point, they had to wonder, what if Jesus doesn't heal him? Am I going to have to walk all the way home? At some point, they had to wonder, looking at the other guy, what, what are we doing here? But they arrived at the house. We don't know how, how long it took him to get there. We don't know how far the distance was. But they arrived at the house to find it was too late. They arrived at the house to find out that it was already full. They arrived at the house trying to get in and no one would budge to let them closer to Jesus. It was too full and nobody wanted to make room for them. Now they could have said, I've done my part, we got this far. They could have said, we'll come back another time, next time we'll be earlier. They could have said, we're going to just set you by the door and hope Jesus comes out this way. That's what I would have done. I'm just confessing. (laughs) I'm that guy. But James 1 says this. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. They didn't come all this far with this man who needed to be with Jesus to stop. They didn't come all this way knowing that Jesus was the answer to say, I give up. They truly believed that Jesus was the answer. So what did they do? They began to make their way up the stairs. You know, this part reminds me of me and Brother David. My, my, my relationship with Brother David is really interesting. Uh, he, he's my pastor, which I respect greatly. He is my boss who tells me what to do. Um, we, we, we are very like-minded. Brother David comes in my office a lot of times and he says things like, I've been thinking. I've got an idea. And at that point, I just sit down. <laughs> Brother David gives me his idea and immediately I know all of the reasons that that's going to be difficult. But Brother David, what about this? But Brother David, we'd have to move all the chairs. But Brother David, I don't know how we can... He has the vision, right? And I'm the one who has to figure out all of the details. So I understand these guys. They show up and it's full. The house is full. There's no way in. I'm the guy who says, what do we do now? But these guys somehow got this guy up onto the roof and began to make a way. They didn't stop um, because of the the difficulties that it was going to take. 
Brother Dave and I are on the same team and we work together. He has the vision and I'm the one who has to figure out how to get up the stairs. Y'all can pray for that. Um, I love it when he's not here and I'm preaching. I get to say what I want. You see, when, it, when you're not personally involved, it's very easy for you to say, it's too hard, I can't do it. But when you are invested, you see the need so much more clearly and you're willing to be part of the solution. Many years ago when I was in college, uh, I came home for the weekend to see my parents and uh, was visiting my mom and my dad. And I, was, I remember I was sound asleep. I don't know if it was the middle of the night, early morning, or really late in the morning. I was in college. I don't know. I was sound asleep. My mom threw the door open, flipped the light switch on, and said, Your dad's having a heart attack. I need your help right now, and walked away. I kind of shake the cobwebs out, and I said, What did she just say? I go to the living room, and my dad was having full cardiac arrest. He had had multiple heart attacks. We kind of knew what it looked like. We knew what was going on. He was having a heart attack. And I said, Mom, if you called 911, I'd jump in. I'm trying to help. And she said, no, he won't let me. He said, it's too expensive. <laughs> I wish y'all to know my dad. <laughs> Mom said, don't even try to argue with him. We've got to get to the hospital. And I said, okay. Now, I'm, I'm not a small man. I will admit that right now. My dad was a large man. And in that moment, I had to pick him up, put his arm around my shoulder, and get him to the car. I don't know how I did it. I don't to this day know how I did it. But dad got to the car, and we took off to the hospital. She called the hospital, said, we're on the way. My husband's having a heart attack. We'll be there and then however long. We drive up to the ER, and out comes a candy striper with a wheelchair. She was so sweet. Well, hello, Mr. Presley. If you'll just get in the wheelchair, we'll find out what's going on. <laughs> I said, he's having a heart attack. We know what's going on. We need help to get in the wheelchair. We need some help. She said, well, if he'll get in the wheelchair, I'll just roll him right in. So I picked up my father and I placed him in the wheelchair and I'm sure that my facial expressions were not full of grace. I just need to confess that. <laughs> right now, there was no grace left on my face in that moment. Why was I so invested? Because I love my dad so much and he was hurting. The candy striper was just doing her job. She was just there. He was one of many patients she was gonna see that day. She wasn't invested like I was. And when we see the correlation here, these four friends were invested, right? They had a relationship with this guy. They knew he was paralyzed. They knew the trouble that he had in his life. They knew the difficulties he had. And they were invested in getting him to Jesus. Sadly, Sometimes we walk right past opportunities because we're not invested. Sadly, we walk right past those with great needs, both physically and spiritually, because we're not invested. And we've got to be invested in the world that we are living in. We've got to be invested like these four friends were invested and it showed in their life. We watch the news and we know that there are physical needs that are just overwhelming all around us. Our Zambia team experienced poverty on a level that we can't even comprehend and explain to you. But we don't have to go to another third world country to see that. We know that that's happening in the U.S. Actually, we know that that's happening in our city. But the truth is, it's very overwhelming for us to think about those who are going through these problems, those who are in this kind of need, and we just want to push that out of our mind. But for that one person, for that one who is struggling, for that one family member who feels so helpless, for that one person who is overwhelmed, and they're desperate for somebody to give them a solution it's just like these four friends. You and I know the solution. His name is Jesus. And we can't heal them. We can't take away all of their issues, but we can point him to the one that will give them ultimate peace. And just like these four friends, and just like the song saying, we can proclaim the power of the one who loves them the most. We can point them to him. Look with me in verse 4. 
Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. These four guys were compassionate enough to go to great lengths to get their friend to Jesus. Now they encountered the crowd and they were confident enough that Jesus was the answer to what he needed. They were willing to go to even greater lengths to get on the roof and get him to Jesus, even digging through the roof in front of everyone. Now this is another funny scene that you just can't help but smile about. You you can imagine the religious leaders sitting on the front row. They got there early because they wanted to check out this Jesus, not because they believed in him, but they wanted to see what was happening. And Jesus is teaching him, and then you hear this noise on the roof, some scuffling about. You know, we all understand distractions in the worship service. There's always that kid that's gone to the bathroom five different times, right? I don't know if you, maybe it's not all of y'all, and I probably shouldn't tell you this, but there, there's lights, there's, a, there's that light right there that's not on. Brother Aaron, I stare at it every week. I just stare at it wondering, when we going to change that light bulb? But I know that you don't have a scaffolding that can get up there, so it's okay. Our mind is wandering, right? Some of y'all checked out a long time ago. You don't even know what passage we're talking about anymore. You've already, I've already lost you. There are distractions. My children None of which are in the room today. I can tell on them. Have texted me. Where are we eating lunch? Please listen to Brother David. (sighs) Imagine the distraction of the roof being peeled away. And the dust beginning to fall. Eventually, Jesus quit teaching. Because everybody was watching the ceiling. And down comes a paralyzed man. Laid right in front of them. And the crowd becomes silent because they're about to see just exactly why they came, right? They were there hoping to see a healing. And now there's a paralyzed man in front of Jesus. Will he heal him? And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. We've already seen these four friends went to all this length to get him there. Now he is right there in front of them. And Jesus points out another trait of these four friends. Seeing their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. He mentioned not only the paralytic, but the the men who had brought him there. It was a plural. This is their faith that he, he recognized. You know, sometimes our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, sometimes our faith in our great God is what we have to share with other people when they don't have enough to believe in him themselves. There are times that we get to speak life into their situation and say, I know things are difficult and I know you don't see the way forward, but I'm telling you, my God is able. My God loves you. He has a plan for you. He will restore you. He can make all things New. Sometimes we have to have the faith for those who are still struggling in the process. There have been times that I've had opportunity to speak life into other people, not because I trusted that they could do the right thing, but because I trusted that God would be faithful to His Word. There are marriages that seemed like there was no possible way forward. And I was able to tell him, I'm telling you, God can make this work. If y'all will do it his way, I'm telling you he can redeem this. But God, you've got to trust him. Wayward children is one of the hardest things to know. That your children are not walking in the way that they grew up and they know better. But God is able to complete the work that he began in their hearts. We can't give up on our God. Difficulties in this world, but reminding people that this world is not our home. Yes, we're going to face troubles. He told us we were going to face troubles. It's okay that we're facing troubles. We can do it in confidence that we're not doing it alone. He is with us. And the faith of these friends overflowed not only for the paralytic, but Jesus acknowledged the faith of their friends in this moment. These friends had great faith and it worked itself out in their actions. They had faith in that Jesus was the answer. And they went and picked him up and literally carried him across town. We can't have great faith in our great God and say, I'm not going to be part of acting that out, working that out, figuring that out and what he wants me to do. The Lord has 
given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. And he's given us the hope of the gospel and the command to go and make disciples. He's given us and surrounded us by people who need Jesus. Not only do we see their faith in verse 5, but we also see our greatest need. You see Jesus in verse 5, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Our greatest need is not physical. Our greatest need is always spiritual. And I know that there's people in the room that have difficulties and there are people who have illnesses and we all have our struggles. Just this week, my mom called and was in the hospital and I prayed for her physical healing, but she and I both took great comfort in the fact that the Lord knew what was wrong. And no matter what happened, her future was secure. They knew full well that only God could forgive sins. And now Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. See, the teachers of the law, the scribes in the room said only, only God can forgive sins. Who are you to say that his sins are forgiven? Jesus, who was God in the flesh, although most in the room didn't understand that, saw this guy lowered down in front of him. And his physical need was evident to everybody in this room, but the spiritual need was ultimate, and that was what Jesus addressed. It was by far his most important need. Now, there's much confusion about whether sickness was brought about because of sin and, and the discussion of sin caused the sickness. We do know that ultimately in the beginning, sickness came into this world as a consequence of the original sin. But we can't look at someone and say, if you are sick, it must be because of your sin. We can't make that correlation. Jesus, however, pronounced to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, and everyone was shocked. That's not the request that was being laid before you. It wasn't his sins that he was asking about. He's paralyzed. Can't you see that? But Jesus doesn't always work on our timeline, does he? Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we want him to. Jesus doesn't always respond just exactly the way we would like it to happen. I think of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But Jesus, if you'd only come sooner... But Jesus delayed, and we know why, right? So that everybody might see the glory of God. Here we see Jesus not healed, but pronounce forgiveness, so that everyone in the room might hear him pronounce himself as the Son of Man for the very first time. He would say, I am the Son of Man, and address his ultimate need for forgiveness instead of the obvious need of healing which caused quite a stir for the scribes in the room. Now the friends of the paralyzed man, probably most in the room, saw his need for healing. But Jesus was able to diagnose correctly what his real need was, his forgiveness of sin. How many of you ever felt bad and decided that you would Google your symptoms? (laughs) I've done that. I went to my doctor recently and I said, well, when I looked it up, it said I might have this. And he just smiled and said, don't Google that. Let somebody else handle that. Medical Google searches are not your answer. When we talk to those who are lost, they'll tell us about their circumstances. They'll share with us why things aren't going right. They'll justify why they're involved in the sins that they're involved in. They'll explain or blame things from their past for all of their current problems. They'll share that if they only had this, everything would be okay. You see, they miss the big picture. They misdiagnose their problem. They fail to see their own sin as their problem. And they fail to see Jesus as the answer to all of their problems. And they don't know that being right with the Lord will ultimately help them with their sin problem. The hardest thing when we're trying to reach someone for Christ is is taking their conversations and redirecting them to a spiritual direction that points them to their greatest need. For us, with compassion and understanding and patience to listen to the difficulties they have while pointing out in love and peace that we find only in Jesus. When I was away from the Lord in college, I mocked a friend of mine who, who got right with the Lord and began to go to church. 
He started attending church regularly and I was quick to point out the hypocrisy of his past. And if those people only knew what I knew about him. You see, that was my view of him in that moment. The truth was watching him change his life for the good was uncovering things in my life and exposing things in my life that deep down I knew were not right. My lashing out at him was my refusal to look at my life in the mirror. You guys have heard this story before, but years later he invited me to church. And my most vivid memory during that worship service was the overwhelming presence that everybody in the room had love and joy and peace, and I didn't have it. But I wanted it. And you and I get to come into this room and hear the word of God and sing his praises and give him glory and experience the love and the joy and the peace that comes only in Christ. And there's a world out there that needs what we have. We have the answer what the world wants and and they don't even understand it. So we see Jesus addressing the paralyzed man's need for forgiveness And the confusion it calls, it reminds me of the same thing in our society. Just like them, their greatest need is salvation. Look with me in verse 6 and following. As we see the questioning of Jesus' authority. Verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God. We've never seen anything like this. And he went again to the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. You see, when these religious men heard Jesus forgiving this crippled man's sins, they couldn't believe their ears. They knew that only God could forgive sins. They understood the words of Jesus to be a claim that he was God. And when they heard this, they immediately accused him of blasphemy. Jesus was the only one qualified. Jesus was not only qualified to forgive sins, he was able to know their hearts and what they were thinking in that moment. So he engages them and he says, which one is easier? What do you want me to do? They wanted to see proof, you see. They understood that if if he said their their sins were forgiven, you couldn't see that change in their life. But if he healed a man, they could see the change. They wanted to see the difference. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, because you don't believe I am who I say that I am, I'll just do both. Jesus does what no, nobody else can do. And he turns to the paralyzed man and says, get up, take your mat and walk. Think about this with me. If God honors the declaration of the healing over this man, then it's an indication that God also honored Jesus' declaration of forgiveness over this man. And in that moment, he proved to the scribes that he was able not only to heal, but to forgive. That he truly was the Son of God. The healing of the paralyzed man was the first of several instances where Jesus conflicted with religious leaders. You know, when he healed the paralyzed man, they said only God could forgive sins. When he ate with tax collectors, he questioned whether Jesus' choice of friends. When Jesus healed the man in the synagogue, they questioned if he was breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus was showing them a more perfect way, one not about rules, but about a kingdom perspective. If you and I are transparent today, we struggle with authority as well. We question authority. We don't like other people speaking into our lives either. We resist being told what to do. We struggle with the commands to submit one to another. Marriages struggle with the commands to submit, wives submit to your husbands, husbands to your wives. We, we, we struggle with those who are over us telling us what to do. And ultimately that's a picture of us that we, we struggle spiritually with the Lord having control and being able to direct our lives. We resist others having a voice in our lives. And, and the scribes questioned Jesus' actions because he, clear, he declared he was the son of man. 
He had come to forgive sins, and ultimately his destiny was to conquer sins once and for all on the cross. They couldn't believe, they couldn't believe their ears when they heard it, and they couldn't believe their eyes when they saw it. But the paralyzed man stood up and walked out the door rejoicing. Don't miss this. The crowd that couldn't make room for him to come in, that didn't find him important enough to be brought before Jesus, parted a path for him to walk out. The paralyzed man walked away forgiven, but the scribes walked away still spiritually paralyzed because they didn't understand the man that they had sat in front of. That's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And for those of us who know him, we can know him so well that we can have the confidence to tell others about our great God. We conclude with verses 12 and 13. And he got up immediately and picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that all were amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming and he began teaching them. The people were amazed and were glorifying God that they'd never seen anything like this. The one obvious application that we see in this passage is we must take people to Jesus. Just like the paralyzed man in this story who had great physical needs, the world around us has great needs as well. And just like we saw in this passage that their greatest need is not physical, but it is spiritual. We must have compassion, the compassion of these four friends to to encounter a lost and dying world. And fortunately, if we're honest, many times our frustrations with society repel us away from these people instead of drawing us to them. A friend of mine is quoted as saying, we will not see the Lord work if we talk more about how hard the ground is than if we talk about how great our God is. Let me say that again. We will not see the Lord work if we talk more about how hard the ground is than if we talk about how great our God is. Isn't that true? If we focus on how hopeless their situation is, if we focus on how hard it's going to be to walk alongside them, if we focus on all of the baggage that they bring and how difficult and inconvenient it's going to be to walk with them, then we're not going to engage them for Christ. Now, the world hears this story and they say, I need more friends like that in my life. Friends that will have my back. The gospel hears this story and says, I need to be that friend to so many other people. But the problem with most of us is we can't be one of those friends if we don't have relationships with those who are hurting. If we don't find ourselves engaging those who are without Christ. If we're not willing to deny ourselves. They won't hear about our great God. If their joy in Christ is not more important than our schedule that day, they will not hear from us about our Jesus. So as we close today, I want to say to anybody in the room that has not come to the place of asking for forgiveness of your sins, you know about our Jesus, but you haven't confessed your sins and accepted the forgiveness that comes only from him, today you can do that. And as we enter our time of invitation, I'll say, if you need to pray and ask for some compassion that you might see the lost around you the way these four friends did, then take time to do that. Every one of us in this room has a family member co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, a classmate. We all have people that need to know how good our God is. Will we be the one to tell them?